My name is Chris Lose, and we are broadcasting live from the show floor at NAM 2020. I'm here with three very wonderful guests. This is Rob Koenig of, what is the name of your business? My business is Ignition Show Design. Ooh, so fancy. Yeah, it's an it's a homage to my dad. I grew up on the Space Coast in Florida. He worked at the Space Center for 30 years, so I figured Ignition wanted to be in the name somewhere. So that's what I went with. Very nice. Yeah. This is Chris Lyle of CLLD out of Nashville. That's right. And Susan Rose. Hello, good to be here. What is your title nowadays? Chicken Wing Queen. Chicken Wing Queen <laughs> of Tennessee. Of Tennessee. I am the Chicken Wing Queen of Tennessee. She is, like, literally right before the session. We're over there planning her world tour. Like, I think big things are going to be, like, 2020 and Chicken Wings with Susan Rose. This is going to be a very big thing. Just think Josh Gates meets, and what's it, Anthony Bourdain? Yes. I'm going to travel over the world looking for the best chicken wing. I'm going to blog it, and I need an app called Winging It. So stay tuned for Winging It. <laughs> that is an exit strategy if I've ever heard one. I mean. <laughs> You could do it on your days off to start, and then once you... Or do it while I'm touring. Once See, you've monetized it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Brilliant. I've always wondered uh, to find a way to actually monetize the days off when we're hanging out in towns, and that sounds like you've, you've discovered the perfect niche market. Well, I have. I've kind of branded myself by accident with wings, because God forbid I post pictures of any other type of food. I always get posts of, oh, is that chicken wing flavored ice cream? Oh, wow. You're eating sushi. That must be chicken wing flavored you know, sushi or chicken of the sea. So, you know, so yeah, I think I need to, my, my, my picture, my, you know, wing picture. That is a perfect way to segue into the topic of this uh, <laughs> podcast here, which is a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll. That's me. Everybody who is sitting on the stage has done a fair amount of both rock and roll and country touring. And uh, I would imagine that you, the, the venues that you go to are always trying to sell you on the best chicken wings. Actually, they actually bring them to me a lot of times in catering. Even in Japan, they went out and found me chicken wings. Wow. And how were they? Good. They were yummy. They were yummy. That's, that's respect. <laughs> you go to Japan, and they've brought you, they've, they've done enough research on you <laughs> to know that you like chicken wings. They went and got you chicken wings. That's, that's, scary, that's yeah. respect. You gotta, gotta admire that. So I would imagine that the first thing that people are asking or wondering about when they think about this one is what is the difference between rock and roll touring and country touring? I would imagine the first thing would be the schedule. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, a lot of the country acts touring out of Nashville, we have what's called the weekend warrior touring method. And so the weekend warrior touring method means you have bus call Wednesday night. Uh, you have shows Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then you come home Sunday. So it's a nice way to have a hybrid home life, work life. So pretty easy schedule most of the time in country unless you're doing a West Coast tour. I know that a lot of the country tours, they are specifically targeting people from Nashville because it's the, the, the best hub for that sort of schedule. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the beauty of Nashville geographically is how, how many major markets you can hit within a legal DOT bus drive, you know, time. And so it's just an, it's become an ideal touring hub, not just out of country for country, but pop and rock. A lot of the pop and rock acts are getting buses, trucks, and all production out of Nashville as well. And what about uh, coming out of L.A.? Do you see any Weekend Warrior stuff out of L.A. or the, the East or the West Coast? No, it's, I definitely see a lot more of it back on the East Coast than, than living out here. I mean, granted, I've only been out here three, three months now, so I haven't really had a lot of time to, to explore the demogra uh, demographic a lot. But what Chris was saying about the, the Weekend Warrior thing was fascinating to me because there was a handful of people that would fly in, but you would literally fly in for your Wednesday bus call or just go straight to the show. Wednesday, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, do the shows, go back home. And then what Chris said about the, the West Coast run, the most fascinating thing to me was we went on a three-week West Coast run. And at bus call, you would have thought that people were going overseas to serve in Afghanistan. Like, wives and husbands both, I can't believe I'm not going to see you for three weeks. And I'm in the background snickering going, like, seriously? <laughs> three weeks? That's, that's terrifyingly bad. I, I, I can't believe how horrible that is. But... It's kind of funny, but the West Coast runs mean a lot in country. Which schedule do you prefer, Susan? Do you prefer the weekend, or do you prefer being away for three months at a time and then home for a month? I'd prefer the weekend stuff. That's why I like working with the more, um, let's just say, um, mature acts. 
because they don't want to be gone for a year at a time. And, and I'm a more mature act now, too. <laughs> I don't want to be gone for months at a time. But Ringo's a little different. He's not a weekend warrior, but he only goes out for, you know, a few weeks at a time, maybe once or twice a year. So, you know, we'll go out maybe four to six weeks, you know, but just when you get tired of touring, it's time to go home. Then we don't go out again for a few more months. And it's actually the perfect ideal. I do love to tour. So it gets me out there and travel because I love to travel. But yet it's not too long of a time to be gone. But I, w- I would, if, I, if I'm ever going to continue touring, you know, after Ringo, you know, if he ever stops touring, if I ever did anything again, it'd be more of a weekend warrior thing. I, I have no desire to be gone for like a year and a half at a time or be on a 20 truck tour and never see the light of day. So, Do you have pets or anything at home that, are, that keep calling you back? Yes, I have three cats. I'm the crazy cat lady. My goal is 19. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do have three cats. I just uh, actually just rescued a dog, which I'm still working on the details of what I'm going to do with that because it's a little harder to take care of a dog when you travel. But um, yes, I'm the animal lady, so... So being gone for three months would be an issue for you nowadays? Absolutely, yes, yeah. So I, I may I may have a home for him, actually. But um, the cats, though, the cats are awesome because you leave litter and food for them, and you have somebody check them once a day. It's a lot easier than a dog. But, yeah, I've, I've had animals my whole life, and um, my mom used to help me with my cats, and, and now I have, thank God, I have friends that help me babysit my cats. But, you know, I couldn't have kids because, you know, you can't just leave a litter box and food for kids, so... <laughs> I mean, I guess you could, but I don't think people would like that too much. <laughs> I always thought that before I had kids, I kind of thought that that was an option. But now my wife has told me that's not an option for us. Yeah, it probably wouldn't go over very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, with the, the difference between country and rock and roll, do you find the, the demand while you're out on tour to be different? Because I know I would imagine Ringo is like a day on, day off sort of guy. Um, we actually do five shows a week. Ringo, at his age, can do five shows a week. We'll do no more than three in a row for the most part. So we'll do like three, then have a day off, and two, then have a day off. This next run that we have coming up, though, we're doing a lot more. Several of our gigs are like two or three days in a row, which I love those because you're only loading in and loading out once, you know. I wish we'd do more of those. Hopefully we will. But this next run, we're actually doing, you know, like a few days in New York and a couple of days in Atlanta, a couple of days, and I think Boston or something. So, um, but yeah, it's a pretty uh, uh, hefty schedule for um, the variety of age range that we have in our band. So they, they love it what they do though. So I'll have to tell some of my uh, my clients that Ringo's doing back to back because a lot of my older bands they don't uh, they they refuse to do two or three days in a row. Uh, I would imagine some of the younger country bands they can go. Five days in a, five days in a row. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. There are you know, and, and on the, a lot of those younger country acts are playing like the club circuit, and so they're hustling. They're hustling to get their name out there and build a, a following on the live side. So yeah, they'll they'll work four or five shows in a row easy, uh, and just keep doing that. They'll they'll have the same venues twice a year too, you know, on that circuit. I think that we have been around just long enough to see the evolution of country acts becoming more rock and roll rigs. I, wa- I don't know if it was Garth Brooks who started that, but it was, it used to, oh, I maybe even Reba was one of the first ones to really get mega rigs. Uh, before that, was country wasn't known for a big production value. That has to be very beneficial for people in the country business to be doing bigger rigs. Is that? Oh, I definitely think so. Yeah, and you're right. I think Reba had one of the early theatrical style large rigs, but Garth, you know, uh, Michael Strickland talked about a little bit last night, the Parnellis, but he came out with a rig that, you know, rivaled major rock tours, and that set the tone for the rest of the country to keep up. And yeah, these days for us, you know, we're putting out country acts with two, 300 head rigs and stuff. So very large rigs for sure. I wonder if that's uh, coincided with the f- how country music has become more rock and more pop country these days, if the rigs are reflecting that. I would imagine sometimes with some of the rigs that you do, you, could, you couldn't tell the difference between a country act and a rock and roll act. No, not at all. Especially, you know, especially for me being in country, it's, it's, I do some. I, I work with Eric Church with Butch Allen, uh, and I did one Carrie Underwood show with Butch as well. So I don't do a lot. But it really surprised me. The first time Butch called me to go cover an Eric show, the intensity of the show 
It's like, you really want me to go out and con- cover a country show? Kind of baffled me a little bit. When I got out there, I was pretty blown away with that, with the intensity of those shows. And I've seen quite a few now. Um, going back to earlier Toby Keith days and things like that, there is a massive rock influence in a lot of these shows. And really, for all intents and purposes, the rock market is kind of at a lull right now. It's kind of dead. You know, there's the mainstays that are obviously still packing in seats, the Chili Peppers and My Guys and the Foo Fighters and things like that, but there's not a swath of them. It seems to all have moved to country, and that attitude has moved to country. Um, So with that, I think, comes a lot of the production people that worked in rock and roll for years and these massive rigs and uh, first big Eric Church thing that Butch put together had all these panographs on it and things moving up and down and loads of automation and 16 trucks, and it baffled me that they were going to go do three in a row with that, but it pulled it off very successfully. Wow. So it was, it was a really unique experience, and they're continuing to do that with Eric. You know, tagging off what Rob's talking about, growing up in Nashville, when I was coming up in the industry in the early 90s, there was only like two, maybe three designers in town that did country, and now literally... It's full. Although it's there's no you know it's Fireplay and it's Baz Halpin's people and it's it's uh, everybody's there doing the country tours as well. All the rock designers have all kind of it's all kind of the pools have mixed. It's made it you know obviously more competition, but there's also a lot more work, so it all balances out as well. I recently went to see Florida Georgia Line, and you couldn't you couldn't tell the difference between that and a rock show. If you'd have just swapped out the music, the programming was all the same. It was all the same strobes, the same video content, the same uh, progressive looks, the very uh, techno animation and automation and just a, a truckload full of atomic strobes and Solaris flares. And it, it didn't have the country vibe that I was uh, looking forward to until they, they did a, uh, they came out to the B stage and they did an acoustic set that felt more like what I was thinking it was going to be. Well, years, years ago, I was on a Weekend Warrior run with Hank Williams Jr., and they were co-headlining with Leonard Skinner. Do you remember this? Back in, like, 2000, Steve Owens yep. designed the rig. It was a huge rock and roll rig. So you got Leonard Skinner doing all the classic rock and roll. Then we had Hank Jr. We're using the same rig, and it was almost like, you know, country meets, you know, Pink Floyd, you know. I called it Bubba Palooza. But uh, <laughs> it was definitely a lot of fun, but it was the same thing because he's all country. But yet we had the big rock and roll rig and the video screens and everything blinking and flashing. And it was it was definitely a, a merger of two different types of music, but yet the same audience. Uh, on top of the technology, do you find the people to be different in the, the country? Because I know that they're starting to merge where people like Robert bouncing back and forth from rock and roll to country do you find that the the good old boy network has been infiltrated by rock and roll? Yeah. Yeah. I certainly yeah, do. It has. Yeah, I don't know if you want to elaborate. Yeah, it definitely has. But again, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because with the rock and roll leadership, the tour and production managers of, of that genre, bring, that comes in a lot of experience. Uh, playing a lot of venues like country never really toured stadiums until the past few years whereas rock has and so we're getting some more knowledge in the country world from these rock uh, leaders that that are bringing that so no i think it's a good thing but yeah it's definitely there's a lot of people playing in both fields right now they'll do some country tour and then a rock tour you know change it out throughout the year and it's it feels very interchangeable anymore there's a lot of that old rock and roll mentality is in country now um, and, you know, you take somebody like Ed Wanabo, who has a back, huge background in rock and roll and has now been Kenny Chesney's production manager for, I don't know, 15 or more years. And he's got this, you know, 40-year history already, and he's bringing it to somebody like Kenny who's doing nothing but stadiums. Invaluable. Mm-hmm. Invaluable. I could, you know, you could easily take that in scenario and say, now Opie is that production manager. Springo is that production manager. Uh, our current production manager, Lug, came from 10 years at Tim McGraw back over to rock and roll. So I think the disciplines are very interchangeable right now compared to what it was, say, even a decade ago. Yeah, I would imagine that people were very set in their ways and set in their schedules oh, 10 I think years so. ago. I think so. I think a lot of that's loose. I think it's a lot of it's changed in, in country. How to explain it? It's really difficult to explain, but a lot of those disciplines have now married together where, and not to paint anybody with a broad stroke, but the country market had its own ways of doing things, and it was a lot different than rock and roll. Rock and roll was more about the spectacle. Country music was more about 
the personal feeling that you have towards that music, right? So there wasn't a lot of production. And then all of a sudden the show started getting bigger and then the Toby Keith comes out and it's a more of a rock show and then his production gets bigger. Now we got a guy with Pyro up there and then people start going, well, what, what is that guy doing? And it keeps evolving from there. And I think the two disciplines are very interchangeable now. Uh, let me know if this is an outdated notion, but I've, when I think of country touring, I think of a lot more family loyalty. I think of uh, people like uh, Garth Brooks and Tim McGraw that are keeping their LDs and their production managers for life. Yeah, I, I mean, that that is a dying breed, though, sadly. Really? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, the business managers look at the numbers and, uh, you know, what we call it the Nashville Christmas card. Uh, and inevitably, every December, business managers look at the books and what next year looks like, and usually a lot of people get let go. So there's very few artists that will stick, that will keep that that payroll going through the hard times or through a recording year or whatever that may be. So it is a dying breed that there's that loyalty. It's definitely a more of a let's get business done than it's about the family. Uh, if anybody's listening right now, I'm shedding a tear that you can't see. Well, I've been fortunate, though, with Ringo because, you know, Jeff Rabbits and I have a, an amazing working relationship and the whole band and Ringo, we have all stuck together because the majority of our crew is most of us have been with him for over 10 years. I'm going on 18 now, 18 years with him. And, um, you know, majority of our crew is, is at least, you know, 10 to 15 in. There's one that's been with him 30 years. And they, they seem to be very loyal, just as we're loyal back. I mean, we don't tour that much, but I turn down other work if I hear he's going out because I'm just as loyal to them. I, I, I want to stay with him until he doesn't tour anymore. So, but I, I think you're right. It's a dying breed because, like, I, I, I lost a lot of freelance work last year because uh, we booked a tour right over one of my peak months. But the thing is, when you start saying no to those gigs, I get somebody else. Well, it's not that they don't like you, but then all of a sudden that person is doing that gig now. So it's a risk you take. There really is not that much loyalty anymore as far as in the industry in general. So that's kind of sad. Do you feel like the rock and roll business is doing the same? Are we losing that uh, that oh, diehard yeah. loyalty? I think the diehard loyalty is gone, unless you're talking about the, the elder statesmen of you know both categories of rock and country. You know, you start... You know, my guys tend to be loyal, Foo Fighters, Chili Peppers, these guys, they've had their LDs front of house guys for years and years and years. Uh, and I think now anymore, not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's a business now. It didn't used to be. A lot of the older guys have the old mentality that that's our bro. He makes me feel comfortable. I'm all good with that. Now it's how much am I going to retire with? What happens if this tour ends tomorrow? What happens if the next record doesn't do so well? I'm paying that guy X amount. I could pay that guy that amount. Okay, so we get some sound complaints. I don't care. I, the tide has turned. Mm -hmm. For better or for worse, the tide's turned, and I think that's a lot of it. Until some things happen that are devastating to an artist's career, like nothing but feedback for an entire show, or she was lit in green the entire show, and people are commenting how ugly she is, and things like that. Until those things happen, as long as the machine's rolling, we're fine. We're saving money? Great. And that's a lot of mentality of that. I would imagine a lot of that came from the, from the good old boy or even uh, the nepotism that would happen. They'd be like, well, I'm not firing him. He's my brother. And I don't know if, is that also a dying breed? Is that, because uh, I've heard a lot of stories of that ending badly as of late where people, well, that was as my brother and my mom's the merch manager and, and now I can't uh, maintain my family life because I'm upset at her. As a man, as a merch manager, yeah, no, there's definitely, and I'm not going to name names. There's definitely some country acts coming out of Nashville that, throughout their career, maybe when they were young, there was family members, cousins, my my high school football buddy, whatever was involved in that career, and and we've seen how bad that. You're right, it goes bad. So it definitely that's dying out too. People um, people want people that take their job seriously, not just because we go way back. And that's part of this business manager change. Business managers are pushing for professionalism as well. And fortunately, Nashville, you know, we're getting a lot of talent in with audio backline, lighting, video techs that take their career seriously. And so there's options out there other than my buddy who, who mixed sound for me when I was a high school band kind of thing. Have any of you had the pleasure of doing a, a Vegas residency with a, uh, with a country act? Ringo, we did a three-week residency one time, but not like a full 
you know, no country acts that I've been with. But Ringo, we did three weeks there one time. Three weeks? Yeah. Working three days, five days a week? Three, three to five days, days a week. Three days a week, and then you just got to hang yeah, out in I Vegas. Could, I could get used to that. <laughs> I wish we could do that again, so maybe we will. <laughs> oh, I'm constantly pushing some of my artists to, to explore that option more often. <laughs> I've always felt that as much as I love touring, I love the load in, stay for a while, load out. I'm, I'm, a, I'm happy to see that trend continuing, especially in Las Vegas. I'm happy to see that trend continuing, too. I'd love to be on that. <laughs> I did that. We did that with Billy Idol. And we did one at the House of Blues, and it was three days a week, and band would fly home to L.A. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. The rest would stay in Vegas. Got to be a bit of a per diem burner, obviously, but because it is Vegas, it's not cheap, but it was great. It was an easy schedule. And then management started figuring out, oh, we could fly to Seattle on a Sunday and go do a one-off and then come back. So then it got a little bit. It got a little heavy after a while because you're finishing up your load out at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, getting on a plane at 6 a.m. and flying out to go do Thank you, show. Bean Counters, for yeah. discovering that. Yeah. That's so great. That we one really... got a little heinous, but for the most part, it's great. Yeah, because when we're touring rock and roll style, you end up seeing the loading docks and the hotel lobbies of the world. Right. Whereas when you're doing... I've, I've always kind of been jealous of theater-style touring where they go and they stay for a month in the town and they actually get an apartment and a refrigerator, and they get to learn their local grocer's name. And I don't know, does that, uh, I don't believe that exists much in the rock and roll or country style touring. Not outside of Vegas, no. I mean, we as a company have gotten more into festival work. We do about seven or eight festivals a year. That lends itself to, you know, we'll we'll get long-term residents, you know, know, uh, Airbnbs or whatever, and and that, you know, be able to kind of, relax for a little bit but uh, yeah past that no it's you'd have to be on a residency to have that with the festival rigs i have always found it interesting when they do coachella one week and then they basically just take all the signs down and use the same rig the same people and just turn it around into stagecoach well, no, you're absolutely they- right and, and that, a funny thing is and tags off our previous conversation is i designed a rig for a festival coming up for it's a rock festival uh it's very straightforward i always try to design the rig so that there's it's very clonable for the ld coming in so that there's a good wash a spot a beam a strobe uh, a conventional well this this very festival has flipping and has a country festival the next weekend same rig and the the, the client was like well will the same rig work for both a rock and country. And I'm like, yeah, at the end of the day, it's all the same now. So yep. yeah, country uses strobes these days too. So it's it's all kind of merged. So I know I got off topic there, but yeah. No, that's actually a great way to go with the next topic is just how universal we can make touring or uh, festival rigs now. We can pretty much do it for anybody now. We can just put up the same rig as long as it's got a, an LED wall and a media server and spots, washes and strobes. And I ended up, one of my most popular articles ever was just about some rules about what we can do to make it more, more versatile with our rigs. Keep it simple, stupid. Oh, man. I, it drives me crazy when you go into these festival rigs. You know, I was very happy, like, Coachella is a great example because Jamie Jensen does a great job of designing that rig. It is a very streamlined rig. It's always very clean looking. Uh, there's enough firepower up there to make anybody happy. Uh, and they can do little things to morph it to make a little bit different for your day, if that's what you so choose. And then you can bring in your package on top of that. And Jamie's very good at that, at giving us a clean rig to work with. The ones that drive me crazy is you have every fixture that can possibly be the largest amount of multi-instances ever possible is up in the rig. Um, the most robust feature sets that you could possibly have, you know, say a Mac Aura, I don't need the Aura. It's a festival, but everyone has multiple instances on that fixture, things like that. I don't. It's not very well thought out. They think they're doing you a favor by giving you that kind of robustness in the rig, and actually it's a detriment to everybody coming in because it's hours of making groups. It's hours of cloning that you didn't need to deal with. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really like the streamlined view of the festival. As long as there's enough firepower up there, we're great. Move on. We can do a pop show. We can do a rock show. We can do a country show. All good because it's all up to the person behind the board and that flavor of what's actually going to be seen. So I think we're all in agreement that the extended 180 channel mode is not what we need yeah, at no. the tour on the festival. The only time you need that is when you're touring with it. 
If you're going to take magic panels or whatever that flavor is right now, if you're going to take that light out and you have them in extended mode, that's great. That's on you. On my rig, one light, boom, there you go. We're not going to get fancy with it. Just give me the light. That's what I need. That's what I really need from yeah. the festival market. Yeah. I get sad when I go to, to festivals and they've forgotten the strobes. I... I we all we all need them and sometimes during especially during a if you're doing a twilight show when you're just not getting the punch you need those strobes or you need the auras aimed out at the audience for the daytime shows i'll I'll have a fader that just takes everything and aims them out at the audience because that's that's the only effect you're gonna that's the only impact you're gonna get is shining lights in people's faces during the daytime Uh, agreed i also get upset when i see a lot of curved trusses Or circle trusses at a nuts. festival drives me nuts. When it goes when the, the structuring goes overboard, I, I completely agree with that. So Rob, bright and remembered, he got mad at me one time because I overdesigned at Kaboo. I overdesigned a rig, but I was new to the festival world and I was trying to be creative at the client's direction. Then I realized it was a cloning nightmare for these these fine. Uh, uh, no, and here was a, here was my big thing with that particular rig was kind of funny because it was an EDM rig built right because I've got we've got Aerosmith on stage. And all the curves are going from up to down sweeping this way. So there's no backlight on the band at all. So everything was intended for like an EDM show. There was no way to flip it around. So the whole show was out here. There was nothing on the stage. And as we all know, Aerosmith is a very rock stage. It was a very difficult day. And then Eric Loader didn't bring over some lights for us. And we all got very upset. We all got very upset. We, we did Eric get Loder. very upset. <laughs> but we forgave him. Eric Eric has never, ever lived that one down. I'll give him a little poke about that one every once in a while. I love you to death, but Eric. I now do everything straight sticks. I don't, it's just a spot, a beam, a wash that are, that are good and bright, clonable. Now, I will say, though, and, and as a festival designer in our defense, some headliners, uh, especially uh, rap artists, come in. They want the JDC ones or whatever in the full blown-out mode, so we have to change them okay. for the day. So give us a little mer- grace in, on that one. I'm sorry. No, and that's tough, especially now with RDM. It makes it a little bit easier to be able to do certain things like that, absolutely, because there are those times where they're going from their arena rig. They've got this one festival. They've got their JDCs in full-blown mode. We're not bringing in our rig. Totally get that. And RDM makes that so much much easier but when you're in the middle of the festival season and that we, we know that everyone's going from festival to festival to festival keep it simple stupid and that's kind of the way i think about yeah. it because just the whole making of the groups and separating out master channels and cloning this part to this part this part it take it can take hours especially when you have more than three or four fixture types i fully admit that i understand the pressure that you're under when you're trying to sell a festival rig to somebody and they're like chris this is the same one you brought us last year and the year before and the year before, and, like, and we went from a country rig to a rock and you're trying to sell us on the same design? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah, and, and I don't, I mean, it's, it's, I can't, it's just no creative. You can't do a creative trust design without pissing somebody off. I mean, it's just the bottom line. So straight sticks and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but not like two spots, two watts. Like, just give us one good clonable light is what they're looking for. Uh, but yeah, I, it, I gave up on the creativity of festival design. It's straight sticks. Nicole knows that. She works with well, I think it's a depth thing too, right? Because you're also playing for your cameras for your broadcast. Whether that broadcast ends up on YouTube or ends up being a pay-per-view thing as well, where your creativity comes in is having different light sources in the background that will read on camera. Now, if the artist doesn't use it because they're bringing in a whole whack of other stuff, great. But you even like you know uh, a little. As, you know, side pieces and, and torms of little atoms and things like that, just to have some light sources in the background. I think that's where you guys get really creative with that stuff. So we've got that depth, we've got that background. Exactly. And even if the touring operator doesn't want to clone that into their show, you always have a competent front of house guy. Most of these festivals have incredibly competent front of house guys that go, hey, listen, I notice you're not using that. Do you mind if I just follow you over here? Because I'll do that at Rock and Rio. That rig is massive. There's tons of audience light. There's tons of facade light in the stage. I trust those guys down there enough to where when we get down there and I'm like, here's your color sheet for every song. Follow me. And they just follow along with me. With Kayo and his crew down there. They're amazing. Kayo and Eric and uh, Paulino is the front of house guy. And he's Mm -hmm. super, super talented young cat. Uh, When you go into a festival situation, what's your first question in the morning? What are you usually looking for? Are you looking for coffee first or Wi-Fi first? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'm the same way, though. I mean, having a rig that's easily clonable. Like, when we tour in Europe, we don't carry a rig, and I'm, I'm pretty much cloning my show file every day, but I've I specified 
what fixture replacements I can use. But sometimes I get the knockoffs where it's, it's challenging. Or I'll get some mo- extended mode. I'm like, I don't need extended mode. Even with just basic LED PARs, I just want a basic three or four channel mode. I don't need the all the a million channels in it. You know, I'm always, I actually specify for them. I'm like, well, can you put this in three or four channel mode for me? And a lot of times, I'm like, well, we can do seven, we can do 10, we can do this extended channel. I'm like, I don't need all this bling bling. This is a quick and dirty, I need to get in and get out. I don't have all day to program you know, a, a, a thousand channels and all the, the, the eye candy effects, you know, for a one-off. If it's for like, like y'all were saying, if it was for a tour, you're carrying that light, then yeah, I'll use all the features of it. But if it's for a one-off and cloning it, I want to make it as easy as possible. Uh, Rob, I want to thank you for your time. I know thank that you. we uh, we were able to just kind of hijack you into this conversation for no, I appreciate the it. 30 minutes that we have. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for showing up. I really appreciate Thanks your time. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah. It's good to see you again. Yeah. Come um, out and come, come and check out the rock show tonight. Susan, Chris, we still have uh, another 10 minutes. If you guys like to, I'd love to continue talking. Sure. Sure. Uh, I'm really glad to hear that even uh, that uh, across the genres that we can all agree that uh, we're looking for something universal in our uh, festival rigs that that doesn't uh, stick to rock and roll or country. Yeah, and just like I said, for festival rigs, you know, I, I feel like less is more, you know. I don't need, like, the jillion channels on one particular fixture. I don't have time. I'm, I'm too busy trying to just update all the other fixtures and the presets after it clones, and it, and it clones some things correctly, and, and some things you're like, uh-oh, because the strobe channel's, you know, shared with this channel, and this, so the strobe is on, shut on this light, and it's like, ah, you know, it's just easy, easy for festival. <laughs> Chris knows this, you know. Uh, quite often, I'll just park color wheels open because I don't have time to deal with color I wheels. I have done that. I have done that. Uh, some of your artists don't allow you to use haze. So when you come into a festival situation, how much time do you get to do your focuses? Um, it's challenging sometimes. You know, I, I think the haze thing is a, a battle we all deal with. I think a lot of it's um, mental because I've found that when I go into some venues and the hazers are up in a loft or in the ceiling, it looks like Cheech and Chong in there. I have the best light shows those days. It's lots of haze in the air and nobody says a thing. But the minute they see the source or they see the machine, all of a sudden, <coughs> you know, someone's coughing and they think that you're trying to kill them with your hazer, you know. And, and outdoor shows are, are challenging because the wind, depending on how it carries it anyway, um, I can get away with using haze a little more in an outdoor show just because it is outside. Uh, I still got to be careful on how, hay, how how much I use. But I get creative on the focuses. I've gotten to where I have a pretty good eye for focusing on, on the floor. I, I have simple focuses. So um, I'm able to kind of rough it in. And then once I do, it does get dark out or I get enough haze in the air. That's when I'm quickly, you know, just last minute updating and, and fine tuning it. They can have seven incense sticks in their dressing room. And exactly. And then they come out and they see one hazer, and then, then you're in hazer detention center. Yeah, I get put in timeout sometimes. And it, it is it is blow my mind with, with any act I've worked with, and even some of my theaters that I do. You know, performers, they, the minute they see that hazer, they think it's going to kill them. They think they're sick, and, or if they do get sick, they blame it on that. And But it's, it's amazing how you hide it, how they forget about it. You know, I've, I've had been in situations where a performer saw the hazer and was just coughing up a storm on stage, cough, cough, cough. Then all of a sudden, this performer forgot that the <laughs> hazer was there. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, isn't that amazing? They're not coughing anymore. You know, and I'm like, I guess they must have miraculously healed because they forgot the hazer was there. So a lot of it, I think, is, and the thing is, being a singer myself, I know there's a lot of cheap fog fluids out there, too. And I will personally go up to a hazer and just stick my head in it and breathe it to see how it makes me feel. You know, because I'm not going to subject any performer on stage to anything that bothers me because I am a singer also. So I do respect that. And if, and if I feel it's an issue, I, I'll cut it. But with the hazers nowadays, especially, you know, it's just, especially the water-based stuff, it's not going to hurt you. If anything, it's going to, I feel like for me, it helps keep my, my vocal cords a little bit more hydrated, so to speak, you know, but... Um, I don't know. I think it's just a challenge. I think all of us as an LD deal with, and then they, and then they they scream when their show doesn't look like. Why doesn't the show look like it did last night? Or why are this this concert we saw last night? The lights look amazing. It's like well, because there's no haze in the air. It's, it's a, if, if you're gonna make me light a show without haze, I gotta have a whole different approach. 
And I have actually relit a couple shows in some of my theme parks because they cut the haze and I had to go back and relight it for a whole... Because I, I, I count on the beams. I count on these, these big looks. And if I don't have them, okay, let's figure out another way to create some really pretty looks without haze. But it's, it's a different way of lighting. I, uh, I had the pleasure of listening to a younger LD who, had to, who got to explain to his artist that he couldn't have lasers without haze. So his artist had gone to see somebody else's show who had lasers and wondered why he couldn't have lasers. Or, and uh, it's just something that we have to explain to people. Like, hey, look, light is invisible without, without haze. Can I ask a very important question we're all thinking right now? Why is it important that we're putting haze inside bubbles? Now, <laughs> so one of, the, one of the best parts of broadcasting live from NAM is that we are all trying to hide the fact that we're all super distracted right now. There is a, there's a roller coaster drum, drum kit uh, not 20 feet from us. There are at least 10 different hazers at 10 different booths blasting on us right now. Uh, there is uh, the occasional eagles that's definitely breaking the, the sound barrier here. Yeah. And the people watching itself is, is pretty... This is awesome. This oh, is a great fantastic. place. It's like a Netflix special. <laughs> this, is a, this is an ADHD nightmare right now. Absolutely. I am focused on everything right now. So we were talking about chicken wings, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is, so it's, it's funny because it feels like we've only been talking for 10 minutes, right? but it's great. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, does the, does the haze tend to affect your singing voice, Chris Long? Uh, you know, uh, when I'm in the shower, I kick the haze around just for effect. But no, <laughs> no, I'm good. I've actually, uh, you know, with country, uh, I've not had really an issue with any acts that were anti-haze. My last tour I did as an LD was Robert Plant. And he, he I did two tour cycles with him. I did the Band of Joy tour, which is very uh, acoustic, bluegrassy, kind of low-key. No haze on that one. Um, and then the uh, next tour, Sensational Space Shifters, he, he changed his mind and said, no, I want to go back to rock and roll lighting. But I did, like Susan was talking about, on that, on that Band of Joy when it was no haze, I was having to challenge myself. And it was a very welcome challenge coming out of lighting Keith Urban and Miranda Lambert. Like, okay, how are we going to accomplish a cool show with no haze? We also were doing it with, with pars and scrollers, too. So that's the look he wanted. Yeah, and this was just back in 2013, 2012. So this wasn't that long ago. But uh, it, was, it was a fun, welcome challenge at that time. What are some of the more interesting challenges that you have to deal with with the artist? Do you get some very specific restraint questions, like beyond no haze, no, no spinning gobos, no motion, no, no magenta, anything like that? No, fortunately, I haven't had any issue with any of the artists, so to speak. The only note I got on, uh, when I was on Hank Jr. was... I guess his face doesn't really have any feeling in it from a skiing accident. I'm not sure the whole story. But they said if he can't feel his nose running. So if his nose is... Oh. I went to... Oh, there it is. If, um, they said if, if his nose was running, just don't put it on the screen. Take him, I, had a, I had an override on my console to, to put him up on the screen on the main center screen of the stage and I would take it off and put the media server stuff up there but they just said if you ever see his nose running don't put him up there and that was really the only note I got that sounds pretty <laughs> reasonable I would not enjoy my, my my runny nose being 10 feet tall behind me yeah but fortunately I haven't worked for any artists that were that you know that particular I never want to see this color or I never want to see this oh I do take that back though I was doing a um a one-off one time for South by Southwest and it was a festival type situation and it was for like iTunes, I, Yama, I don't know, it was for some TV thing and uh, all week long it was a bunch of rock and roll and rap acts and Snoop Dogg was on it and I was terrified because they said, whatever you do never use red because of the, I guess, the Crips and the Bloods or something. And I'm, I was terrified. I was like, what? What if I accidentally scrolled through? Whoa. Oh, God. I mean, I was, like, so scared. Like, oh, my God. I can never, ever have red just at all even blink on stage. So he comes out for sound check, and he comes out, like, in a red hoodie. <laughs> and I'm sitting there at the console going, huh? What? And he's, like, all dressed in a red sweatshirt and hoodie and red tennis shoes and I'm like 
Oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, but I still didn't use red. Like I was like, I just deleted the color palette altogether for his because I was just like, I don't want to take any chances. But I'm like, what if it scrolls to the color wheel and the red goes past it? Am I going to get killed or something? But it was, nobody cared. It was fine. But that was the note that I had been given early in the day. Whatever you do, don't use red. So that's the only time I've been given a note as far as don't use a color. That would not look good on your resume if you had kicked off a gang war yeah. by the wrong color I had selection. a hiding place all set already. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, I don't get killed. <laughs> That's funny. It actually was a great show. I got to say, he did a great show, and I actually ended up having fun, you know. But there was defi- it was definitely an odd, odd show because we were on the a roof of this, like, parking garage. And all week long, there are stages everywhere, as you know, South by Southwest. And everybody's got their Sharpies and everything going everywhere, right? Literally, the other act is on. We have like a 15-minute turnover. And this guy comes up to me, and he's like, who's the LD? I'm like, he's in the truck. He's in the truck. And I'm like, well, you can't have any lights hitting the buildings. Because you, know, you have ballets and all kinds of can-cans going on. It's, it's rap, you know? And I'm like, what? And he's like, no, you can't have anything hitting the buildings like at all. And I'm looking around the city and seeing everybody else's lights going everywhere. There's something fishy going on. So I said, you need to go down and talk to the guy in the truck. So literally, in between, right before he came on, I had to go through all of my presets and update all my focuses, so my ballets were like this. I mean, it was awful. I mean, so I was already terrified. <laughs> but he was the last act of the night, thank God. But it was just a very stressful gig for me. I was, like, ready for a few beverages and lots of wings after that one for medicinal purposes, you know? <laughs> no ballets and no red and don't hit the buildings. Oh, my God. It was awful. At first, I thought he meant no lights on the buildings. We had some ambient light just kind of lighting the, for, for, for TV, for, you know, scenic in the background. So I told my tech, I said, go and plug all those lights. And the guy's like, no, it's not those lights are the problem. It's your lights hitting the buildings that everybody in town was hitting also. And I was just like, huh? You know, so there was definitely something weird going on with that whole camp, you know. But you have to deal with it. You have to improvise. I mean, you have to do it last minute sometimes and scramble. But I made it happen. But, boy, it was, I was glad when that one was over. That wow. was definitely a stressful evening. How about you, Chris? What's the most interesting restraint or limitation that you've received? Uh, touring with Keith Urban, um, yeah, he, he was challenging. Uh, it was no gobos, no pink. Or trying to interpret what what is pink in Australia, um, you know, make sure to have a language barrier because what I thought was pink and what he thought were pink were different. But yeah, he was definitely my he's been my toughest client ever in that regard in, in color. Yeah, I don't know what it is about our male artist in the the fuchsia or the pink. I've gotten that more times than I care to to mention. And you know, I only have eight colors. Yeah, and you just took away one, so. There's seven colors and, and white. And yeah. And why no gobos? Uh, he, I don't know. He just, it, it was fine the first three years I worked for him, but there at the end, um, it was just, it was, uh, he had a freak out on stage. He said, I'm tired of seeing gobos. So I had to go through the yep. entire programming. I just basically recorded every gobo as open in the palettes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I had an artist who would stomp on them and let me know, like, hey, I don't like that. It makes me think that the floor is moving. And oh, we, wow. we had to get rid of all the, and there, and at that point we were no haze, no gobos, and then he started fighting for no movement, and we, we kind of had to you know, give him a sedate him. Rig. There yeah. you go, give him a 120k park hand rig. There you go. <laughs> well, that's what they're they're accustomed to, and it, sometimes it's it's like pulling teeth, bringing them into the new stuff because they 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 go to other shows and they know that they want more and all too often they're asking for something different but also don't take me out of my comfort zone and i've seen that happen too many times where i've been programming and they're like they'll come out front of house they'll see it and they're like yes yes that and then more give me more give me more and then after the first show we're, we're okay don't do that and next thing you know we're just dialing right back to where we started from the beginning i find that frustrating especially when it comes to content generation because they always want something different but also make it look like the music video that I'm accustomed to. Do you ever uh, find any of your artists falling into that rut with with content? Were they uh, they're still well, asking to just make it look like the video? No, the shows that I do, we don't have a budget for content. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> just being honest. <laughs> my gobos are my content. <laughs> uh, so I would imagine a lot of your artists are also looking for a new, fresh look per tour without going too far. They are. And the thing is, like with Ringo's tour, you know, Jeff Rabbits has been with Ringo for, you know, since the beginning. And we've always been old school. Less is more, and it's a pretty show. Like, we have six Verilites that are dedicated just to project at the backdrop because the backdrops are beautiful. They're always very colorful, and the way you light them and layer them brings out different colors in the drop. But the gobos are layered on top of it, and that literally is my animation. Not, I'm not talking just random spinny gobos that are... I mean, there's a purpose for them all. A lot of times I'll morph them together or they'll be out of focus or doing something. We have some specific gobos like the peace sign and the, the sunflowers and, and stars, of course. But um, that's our animation. And I actually get more compliments on the road on the show because it is so different because it is more simple and just classy. It's not about the in-your-face. And there's nothing wrong with the in-your-face stuff in the right application and the right big rock shows and stuff. But our show doesn't call for that. Now, he does go to other shows sometimes and sees that he's gotten on a kick where he sees the video, of like a Paul's show or something. I want that. But we're a one-truck tour, so it's like trying to explain to an artist, well, you realize that means another truck, another person, you know, more money, more gear, you know. So it's still been an ongoing discussion. I think he does want some element of video, but that's a whole, as you guys know, that's a whole nother dynamic and expense and person and truck because we are at the max with our truck right now we can't even fit a chicken wing on there right now (laughs) you've tried i've tried to hide them well yeah you have a beetle on stage you don't need to add much production value on top of it you have all the musical value that exists in the world. That's what I tell people. You know, I feel like I I love, for me, I'd rather watch a show that's live, that's true live, mistakes and everything, because that's true live music that we all grew up with. You hear the mistakes. You hear if they want to jam for an extra, an extra chorus or an extra, you know, 32 bars, they can, because it's not time-coded. It's not specific. You're not having Pro Tools and, you know, lip-syncing and anything. It's actually live. And there's something to be said about that. And, like, every guy on that stage is, an, is a star also. They're legends. You know, it's the all-star band. So I feel like people are there. We're, we're there to enhance the show. And I always say make people see the music, not distract from what's going on on stage. How many are in Ringo's band? Tw- how many people? Do you have 12? No. Um, we've, I've been through de- several different van- band variations since 2003. Matter of fact, John Waite, who hosted the Parnellis last night, was in the first Ringo band I was in 2003. Um, but right now we've got Greg Raleigh from Santana, uh, Steve Lukather from Toto, Colin Hay from Men at Work, Hamish Stewart from Average White Band. Then we have Greg Bissonette, who is a, drum- a very well-known drummer. He's actually here today. And uh, Warren Ham, who's our auxiliary guy, he also tours with Toto, I believe. That truly is the all-star band, then. Yeah, and we've had some great guys over there. We've had Edgar Winter and um, Richard Marks, uh, Rod Argent, Paul Carrick. Oh God, the list goes on. I mean, we've had some amazing. You know, Richard Richard Page from Mr. Mister. I loved him. Todd Rundgren. I mean, we've had just amazing. I've I've been really fortunate to work with some amazing legends over the years, and they're the nicest guys in the world. Do they all try and get any input on uh, on the looks of the show, or is that, uh, Absolutely is that Ringo? Absolutely not. They, they, don't, they, they don't really say anything. I mean, if anything, they, they'll say that, because they do, I did find out something, and I've talked about this in my panels. We're lighting the shows a lot for cell phones, because everybody is videotaping it and putting it on YouTube, and you know what? I found out that Ringo and the band often get on YouTube to watch it. That's the only way they see it. You know, and if anything, I get compliments. Like, Luke always comes up to me and, man, Sue, you look, the lights look great, man. I love what you're doing on the backdrop. We never see that from where we're looking because they see all the stuff going on in the backdrop, and they love it. You know, and they can see themselves. They're clear on the videos. And so I, I got to be, you know, I, I actually use my cell phone a lot. I know I post a million pictures of the shows, but I also use those as a tool just to see if everything looks blown out because everybody's live streaming these days during a concert. They're putting it on YouTube or Facebook Live, and there's no way to really stop that. You know, some venues are becoming more strict with that now, but you, you can't stop that everywhere. And so. I believe that transcends the rock country divide is that uh, everybody's lighting for cell phones now. Yeah. 
Um, especially with LED fixtures now, we have to be very cognizant of the CRI and the color temperature because if, uh, if they're looking at all the Instagram photos and they're you know, too much green or too much shadow, they're, they're, it's going to come back to us. Yeah, I, I, this was a topic in some of these panels I was on yesterday was exactly this. And, you know, because we have, our rig is a lot of LEDs in the rig now, and but everything, I never run anything at full. I have everything on inhibitives, and I use my camera kind of as my little, my, my light meter, <laughs> just to see what it looks like. If it looks good on my camera, then I'm good. And that way Ringo's not too washed out in the spotlight. We always have color correction in the spotlights, and, you know, it's lit for the audience, but it's also lit for iMag or cell phones or for any kind of video, in-house video that they have. So it's kind of a combination of lighting. Sitting out in front of the house, do you ever find yourself scanning other people's cameras to see how it looks? Yes. <laughs> Funny yeah, story. My, my camera, I have a, I have a don't, don't hold this against me, but I have an Android. I have a, a Galaxy. And the irising technology is just amazing on those phones. And this is years ago, and Barbara was standing next to me, who is Ringo's uh, wife. And we were at a show, and the pictures just look completely different. I mean, every camera looks different. And I remember her looking at her phone and looking at mine, and she tapped me on the shoulder. She's like, why does your pictures look so much better? You know, I'm like, uh, let me text these at the road man- tour manager, because the tour manager actually has me texting pictures to show Ringo, you know, because Ringo likes to see what's going on out front. Now that he's taking notes, he's not that kind of artist. He just wants to see what it looks like. You know, I'm very fortunate. He's not one of those artists that's picky. He just want, wants to see what it looks like. You know, so I'll pick the best pictures and send them to Wayne. And here you go. <laughs> but you're right. I do scan the audience and look at because it's amazing to see what they're seeing on their phones because that's going to go out on social media somewhere. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself looking at everybody's phones and? Yeah, at the festivals, I'll see what the kids are taking pictures of and see what they think's cool. But no, at some of the design shows I do, I'll, I'll watch, but uh, usually I'm too nervous seeing what we screwed up up on stage and watching up there. But <laughs> yeah, every now and then, yeah, we'll, we'll take a look. Sometimes when I get into that, the, what I call the, the ghost running of the show where I've, I've been running the show for an hour and I've forgotten the last 20 minutes because I've just been so involved, I'll have to go back and watch the shows on YouTube to see how I did, because I do, like my brain, I just dissociated myself and just, I was watching the show while my body was running the show, and I'll go back and see if I was actually <laughs> getting my hits and in the right spots and everything. I think we all fall into autopilot every now and then. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like that's when we know that we're on, is when we're in autopilot and our, our bodies and the muscle memory is just running the show for you. And your brain gets to sit back and watch and enjoy. Yeah. So this has been a real pleasure. It's been good. I am uh, I'm really happy that we got to let Rob come in and uh, join in on our conversation. You guys have been really wonderful to talk to. And uh, I really look forward to seeing how your Wings uh, Enterprise <laughs> comes out. Oh, yeah, me too. That'll be entertaining. I'm, I'm going to make it happen, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I hope you guys have all enjoyed this podcast today. I've been sitting here with Chris Lyle and Susan Rose, and my name is Chris Lose, and we are broadcasting live from NAM 2020. This has been brought to you by PLSN and TimelessJobs.com. Thank you. Thank you.